Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially. You can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Good morning. Y'all see that handsome guy on the right side up there? Actually, that video was shot two weeks ago, and so GLS is this upcoming week, Thursday and Friday, August 5th and August 6th. We've got about, I don't know, between 75 and 100 folks from around our community already registered. We've got other organizations in our community, civil leaders, religious leaders, churches, uh, organizations just all over the heartland that are going to be doing some online watching at their own offices. And so it's just a great opportunity for us to sit under some really high caliber teaching from Folks from all kinds of different industry fields. There's retired four-star generals for the Army. There's faith leaders. There's uh, CEOs of multinational corporations. And so we'd love for you to come and join us in here Thursday and Friday. Again, you can see one of the First Impression folks out there. Or even just hop on our Facebook page. Uh, We're kind of littering our Facebook page uh, and our social media spaces with ways that you can plug in. Uh, Good morning. My name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here at GBC. Um, Pastor Dustin sends his hellos. He's actually over at Oakview Baptist. If you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go and listen to the message from last week, not just for the really great truth that Dustin taught, uh, but also for the pre-sermon conversation uh, where Dustin kind of shared some vision for how God has asked us as a church to step into the story of Oakview Baptist Church. Uh, Long story short, uh, Oakview tragically lost their lead pastor about a week and a half ago uh, over in Okeechobee. And through a a weird set of circumstances, we ended up getting in contact with them and really just saying, hey, we're here to serve. We want to love on you guys and serve with you guys. And it just so happened that they said, well, yes, we actually would love for you to come and fill our pulpit for the next we don't know how long, every Sunday, while we try to figure out how to pursue finding a new lead pastor and their family to come and take over our church. And so we prayed about it and we discussed it and we felt the peace of God uh, to step into that opportunity. And so Dustin's over there this weekend, uh, just cast in vision for John chapter 17. Jesus died and rose again to create unity amongst the capital C church. Uh, and this is an opportunity for us to enter into maintaining that unity. And so I want to pray for Dustin and for the Oakview family. And again, Dustin kind of called you guys into going and participating with what God is doing over there, helping them to heal, helping them to see the work of God in and through um, them as a church. And so if you live over that way, or if you even just want to go over uh, and hang out, uh, call the church, let us know, or just Google Oakview Baptist Church. We would love for Grace Bible Church, not just those who are filling their pulpit, but the body of Christ to come and to gather and to love on that church family as they endure through some hard stuff. Uh, Let's pray for Dustin. He's taking the pulpit about 1030 later this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to... To do what you called us to do as the church of Jesus Christ, uh, to link arms and to maintain the unity uh, of the spirit that you created through your life, your death, and your resurrection. Uh, And as Dustin casts a vision for what it means to be uh, one body uh, in numerous places in the heartland, uh, God, we ask that your spirit would be the only authorized teacher in the room. Uh, We ask, Lord, that you would encourage the hearts uh, of those who are still... uh, just wrestling through the tragic loss of a loved one. 
Uh, and Father, it's not lost on me that there are those in this room in, enduring the same kind uh, of tragedy and loss. And so Jesus, would you do what you do best? Would you uh, be our peace and our hope and our joy? Holy Spirit, would you also be the authorized teacher in this room this morning as we turn our attention to your word? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you got your Bibles, you can start turning to the book of Mark. We're in a series called Say What? Say What? I don't know if I said that right. Dustin does it so much better. So we're unpacking some of the Christian phrases and theological jargon that we so often use around here on a Sunday morning that sometimes probably leaves you, you know, scratching your head just a little bit. We want to take some time to unpack some of those words, some of those phrases, phrases and words and ideas and concepts even that are foundational to what it means to be a Christian and to be a child of God. Last week, who was here last week? How many of y'all? Most of you? Okay, good. Oh gosh, half of you. Okay, go listen to the message, okay, on Facebook. It was a bit of a doozy uh, because Dustin was unpacking this, this big, amazing, transformational gospel truth uh, that we serve a God who's not just for us, though he is the lamb slain from before the foundations of the world, and we serve a God who's not just with us, Emmanuel, God with us, we serve a God who lives in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. What a disorienting and bewildering thought that when we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, God moves into the neighborhood. And he comes and indwells us through his Holy Spirit. And he joins us to his indestructible, inexhaustible life. And we have received everything, everything that we need to live a life of godliness and walk in obedience and experience joy and profound peace and meaning and purpose. It's quite amazing. Say what? Yeah. Yeah, it's a loaded statement, and we would do well to meditate on this idea that we have been joined to the life of Jesus Christ. And so much New Testament ink is spilled to communicate that jaw-dropping truth. And this, this is why, folks, this is why Christianity is a bit disorienting, properly understood. I mean, so many of us, we grew up in a Christian tradition that taught us that Christianity was about staying in the boundaries of proper behavior, right? Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang with those who do. Do the right stuff and don't do the wrong stuff. But Christianity, properly understood, is not about the improvement of our character. It's also not about the modification of our behavior. It is about learning to give expression to the very life of Jesus Christ who calls us home through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when we learn to abide in Christ, we find that there is much fruit that is born out of our lives. This is essentially what Dustin talked about last week. And no, I'm not going to teach the message again, though I really, really want to. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, uh, Dustin taught uh, Paul saying, I, I, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It's no longer me, not I, but Christ who lives through me. And the life I live, I live by faith in him. I've been crucified. And it's no longer me. It is Christ. Now next weekend, next weekend is going to be pretty epic because Dustin and I, we're going to tag team and we're going to unpack one of the most significant and transformative chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter 6. And we're going to talk about what Paul meant when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. 
We're going to answer the question that so many of us ask. Hey, the Bible says I'm dead to sin, but I don't feel dead to sin. I don't act dead to sin. I don't think like I'm dead to sin. What in the world does he mean that I am dead to sin? So next week, you're definitely going to want to be here. Don't miss it. But Christianity, understood properly, it's about learning to live out of the source and the supply of the life of Christ. And the life of Christ is a life for others. The life of Jesus is a life for others. And the life that he desires to live through us is a life that will love people. Love people out of hiding, out of shame, out of guilt, into light, into life, into hope, into joy. The life of Christ that calls us home is a life for others. And that's why Christianity is not about just you. It's not about just you or just me. It's about such a broader scope. Jesus calls it a kingdom. Christianity is about a kingdom. And so here's what I want to talk about this morning. We want to unpack a couple more of those phrases that often get lost in all of our many words on a Sunday morning. We want to unpack what exactly is the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus show up in the very first public proclamation, his very first sermon, his very first public engagement, and he's talking about a kingdom. We want to talk about the kingdom of God, but we also want to talk about how the kingdom of God affects and influences our call to discipleship. I'm the discipleship pastor, and I have to talk about discipleship every time I get up here. Y'all know that, but I I don't do that because it's my job description. I do that because discipleship is the call on all of our lives, all of our lives. The call to making disciples. Now this morning, we're not going to talk about the how of discipleship. We talk about the how around here a lot. So much so that we've started to have monthly groups orientation meetings. So that there is no excuse for you to not know exactly how we plan to make disciples here at Grace Bible Church. While we gather and go and grow and give. And so coming up next month on Wednesday or Sunday morning, you'll hear about it. We're going to have a groups orientation. We're not talking about the how of discipleship this morning. Instead, I want to talk about the why. The why of discipleship, as well as how do we become disciples? It doesn't take long around here to hear that we are all called to the ministry of making disciples. We will call you into mission really quickly, but it is equally as important that we understand that before we can make disciples, we have to be disciples. And so we're going to talk about the kingdom of God this morning. We're going to talk about discipleship, the why and how we can become disciples ourselves. And so Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be going. We, we want to start where Jesus started because where Jesus started isn't where many of us would expect him to start. Now, Mark by far is my favorite gospel. It's my favorite gospel because Jesus isn't even born in it. He just shows up and he gets to work. Like Mark starts in a hurry and it doesn't slow down at all. And that's very much like me, if you know me. The favorite word that the gospel writer uses in the book of Mark is immediately. Immediately. 
immediately. 41 times in 16 chapters, it's used to convey the speed and urgency in the life of Jesus. Speed and urgency. Those words have actually been used about me. Uh, from my loved ones. But they use different words like bull and china shop, but that's not important. Mark is always in a hurry because Jesus, man, he's passionately pursuing the mission that God sent him on. And so we're going to pick up the story in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus has just come back from 40 days in the wilderness. 40 days of tempting and testing and trying by Satan. Jesus was being prepared for ministry and he's ready the son of god who came to seek and save that which was lost begins his ministry mark chapter 1 verse 14 now after john was arrested john the baptizer john the messenger john the one who is sent to go and prepare a way for jesus to come he came he prepared jesus has come and now he gets arrested john is arrested jesus came verse 14 into galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. That word proclaiming, it's also used to be preaching. Jesus came preaching the gospel of God. Gospel, it's a buzzword. But Dustin was right to kick off this series of say what, unpacking what gospel meant in its historical context. You remember gospel literally means news that brings great joy. News that changes things forever for everyone. Every Christmas, we drag out this word gospel when we drag out our nativity sets. You remember the angel who came to the shepherds who were watching their flock by night? I'm pretty sure the angel's name is Harold because that's what Dustin named him years ago. Listen, when we get to Advent and he pulls out that lame joke about the angel named Harold, we all laugh the first time. Because you know when he says a joke and you don't laugh and then he gets all grumbly and stuff. So anyways, so the angel is declaring to the shepherds, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. They had a gospel to share. Why? For today unto you a Savior is born in the city of David. That was good news. It was a gospel when Jesus was born. And there's another gospel to be proclaimed when Jesus enters into Capernaum, enters into Galilee, comes into town preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And here's the content. Here's the content of the gospel of God. You ready? Verse 15. Here's what Jesus said the first time he opened his mouth in his public ministry. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The time has come. The kingdom of God has arrived. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, of all of the things that Jesus could have addressed on his debut sermon, what he doesn't say is anything about the forgiveness of sins. He doesn't talk about heaven. He doesn't talk about hell. He talks about a kingdom. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you hear kingdom. Okay, maybe kings and queens and royalty and castles you know, so, so often we hear the, idea, the word kingdom, we think of a geographical area and some monarch who's ruling. You know, incidentally, my wife and I, we've, uh, we've gotten sucked into binge-watching Downton Abbey on Netflix. Any Downton fans out there? A couple of y'all? Uh-huh. Some of y'all are hating, but that's okay. You heard kingdom and you immediately started thinking Game of Thrones, okay? We're not going to go there, okay? But we hear the idea of kingdom and we hear so many different things. But you know what the Jews of Jesus' day heard? When they heard that the kingdom of God was at hand. 
See, the Jews of Jesus' day, they had been watching and waiting and wondering and longing for the kingdom of God to come. Why? Because they had placed all of their hope in the promised coming king that the Old Testament prophets said would come. A king that they believe who would step into human history and begin to right all of the wrongs perpetuated against them as Israel. See, ever since the reign of King David, the prophets have been speaking that another like King David would come and he would rule with a rod of iron and justice and righteousness would fill the land and there would be peace everywhere in Israel. The people of Israel, the Jews of Jesus' day, they heard that the kingdom of God was at hand and they could not help but read that into their current context, their present predicament. Which means they started looking for a sword on Jesus' hip and an army in tow. Because they believed that the coming king of the kingdom of God would come and vanquish Rome. And break the yoke of Roman oppression that had been around Israel's neck for so long. Only Jesus showed up preaching the gospel of God and what they saw in him was confusing. See, you'd expect a king to have a crown. Jesus didn't have a crown yet. He'd have a crown. It wouldn't be of diamonds and rubies. It would be of thorns. You'd expect the king to have a castle. Jesus didn't come. He didn't have a castle. He'd even go on later to say that, hey, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man, he's, he's got nowhere to place his head. You'd expect the king to have a, an impressive entourage, right? An army in tow. Jesus showed up alone. And then he called a few scraggly fishermen, a woman of ill repute, a tax collector, and a whole bunch of other sinners and those who were shunned by society. No, 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 none of us would have seen Jesus coming down the street and said, now there, there is the king of the universe. It would take faith to see the son of God in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And yet here was Jesus proclaiming, preaching, declaring that the kingdom of God was at hand. And I love this because it is our first clue that Jesus is up to something so much bigger than just an individual personal work of salvation and rescue. I've said this before. Jesus did not come just to save you or me. He did. He saved us. It is personal. It is intimate. It is relational. But Jesus's kingdom is about so much more than just your individual happiness and fulfillment. It's not just good news for you. It's good news for the world. And when we miss that, we miss the picture of what Jesus' mission is all about. The gospel of the kingdom of God is about the breaking through of the king's reign and rule into the fallen and fractured world that we find ourselves in. This is why the kingdom being at hand was gospel-worthy news. A couple weeks ago, Dustin taught on being made in the image of God, being made in God's likeness and in his image. And while we were there, man, Dustin unpacked, in the beginning, God created a perfect, good, right, true, and whole world. Where our first forefather and foremother existed in perfect harmony with each other and with God Perfect intimacy, no sin, no decay, no death, no lying, no cheating, no stealing. Why? Because God was king. 
course, the story doesn't stay that way. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters into the human story. Why? Because we chose to put the crown upon our own heads, and we wanted to be God of our own story, and we wanted to declare that we knew what was right and true, and we wanted to declare alongside Sinatra, I wanted my way. And as a result, sin entered into the human story. And everything has been touched and stained and broken and fractured because of that. And we know this. We all know this to be the truth because deep down inside of all of us, we know that something is tragically wrong with the world that we live in. That this world we inhabit is inescapably broken and we all long for it to be restored. Everybody longs for the world to be restored. And this longing, it is embedded in many cultures around the world. And though the stories are different, they all have a similar theme, don't they? One day, the true king is coming. And he's gonna slay the dragon and he's gonna give true love's kiss and wake us up from the sleep of death, and he's gonna rescue us from the tower of imprisonment, and he's going to take us home on his white horse. Regardless of the story, regardless of the culture, there's a hope embedded in us that one day things are gonna turn around. One day a true king will come and put everything right, renew the brokenness, make every sad thing come untrue. And the good news of the kingdom of God is this, folks. Jesus is that true king. He is. And he is coming. And he will bring a forever kingdom where there is no more death, where there is no more crying, where there is no more disease, where there is joy and lasting peace and community and fellowship between God and man and man and man, where there is no infighting and no horrific stuff that you see every time you turn on your news church jesus speaks of a kingdom at the outset of his ministry because he wants to remind us that kingdoms are made up of people and jesus loves people gbc this is the why of discipleship this is the why of discipleship look around look around look down your aisle for me go ahead everybody's doing it look around what do you see You see a bunch of people. This is the why of discipleship. People. Jesus loves people. And hear me, folks. If your individual journey of faith is more important than everybody else in the body of Christ, you have tragically believed an incomplete gospel. And if your individual journey of faith is so much more important than the myriads of people you will pass by tomorrow who are caught and trapped in an inescapable darkness, you have too believed in an incomplete gospel. Jesus came proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand. And the kingdom of God means many, many, many things. But here's what it means right here and right now. It means the reign and the rule of King Jesus in the hearts of those who have responded to his invitation. The why of discipleship is people because Jesus understood that the kingdom of God breaking in was about the reign and rule of his kingdom. Calling a vast sea of humanity out of darkness and into the glorious light of his kingdom. And so there's an invitation that Jesus issues here in this first chapter of Mark to those first few followers. How do we become disciples? 
Remember the call to make disciples happens after we become disciples? And the invitation to become disciples always precedes the call to go and make disciples. And so Jesus has an invitation. And the invitation is threefold. There's three commands. Repent, believe, and follow me. Let's unpack these for a moment. Jesus says, the kingdom's at hand. Repent. What do we need to repent of? What does repentance mean? It's one of those $50 church words. But it's an easy one to understand. Repentance literally means a change of mind that leads to a change of living. Metanoia, it means to change how we think so that we can change how we walk. See, the Apostle Paul talks about our rescue from sin and death and the work of salvation like this. Colossians 1 verse 13. Let me read it to you. It'll be up on the screen. He, God, has delivered us us from the domain of darkness. That word domain, it's also translated as realm. It's also used in other Bible uh, books as authority. It's also used and translated as the word realm or, or jurisdiction. In other words, Paul is saying that God has rescued us from the jurisdiction, from the realm, from the authority of the domain of darkness. And this darkness didn't just happen to be the absence of light as if we're groping around late at night trying to find our way to the bathroom and we stub our toe. No, no, no. This darkness, this darkness was complete and utter bondage where we were enslaved and ensnared by the enemy of our souls. And this system of darkness, it exerted its great dominion over all of us. Church, if you've never heard this before, you were born into a kingdom of darkness, dead in your sins and trespasses, and you only lived out the desires of your lusts and your flesh. That, that's how all of us showed up on the planet Earth. Yes, we might have been good people, nice and kind people, but the question is, compared to what? Because the goodness and kindness and righteousness of God, none of us come close to that. And so we, we showed up in this domain of darkness. Salvation is always from something and to something. And Paul is saying that God rescued us. He delivered us out of this domain of darkness. And the call of discipleship for all of us is to join Jesus in this rescue mission of rescuing and calling men, women, and children out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son. And so why does Jesus invite us to first and foremost repent? Because he's calling us to change our minds and to believe him that what he says about us in his word is true, that we really were born into a kingdom of darkness and that we really did show up. And as soon as we had breath in our lungs, we drew a circle around us and we said, I am the Lord of this ring. And I will control my own destiny. I'm the captain of my own destiny. And all of us needed to come to a crisis where we saw Jesus as the true Lord and King and Savior. And we repent. We bow our knee and we acknowledge to God, you're right. I'm wrong. We repent. And it's important to understand, folks, that repentance, repentance is a gift of God. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the kindness of God leads us. We are led to repentance. 
when we look upon the kindness of God, his mercy extended to us when we were in full-on rebellion. Nobody wakes up and says, well, I'm going to repent today. It, it doesn't work like that because we love being the God of our own lives. But when Jesus breaks through the fog and shines the light of his glorious gospel upon us, we see him rightly and we see ourselves Rightly, This is why Isaiah in chapter 6, when he looked upon the glory of God, he fell to his knees and the first thing out of his mouth wasn't how, how awesome am I? No, he said, woe is me, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips who dwell among the people of unclean lips. That's repentance. That's repentance. It is a brokenness of our sin acknowledging that God, you're right and I am wrong. And so what is repentance? If it's nothing else, it is turning from our sin towards a life of dependence upon God and a life of treasuring Jesus, even if you don't know what it means beyond that. We learn to depend upon God and his promises, and we learn to treasure Jesus. Treasure him. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's so much bigger than just you. It's bigger than just me. It's about a vast sea of humanity who you will pass tomorrow here in Highlands County in the Heartland region who are trapped in darkness, enslaved to the tyranny of sin. And so Jesus invites those first followers that first day of his, his mission in public. He says, repent, turn from sin and death and self-confidence and turn towards me and my kingdom and the joy and the meaning and the purpose that I have for you. Repent, first command. Second command is to believe in the gospel. Verse 15, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does it mean to become a disciple of Jesus, to become a citizen of the kingdom? It starts with repentance, and it moves towards belief in the gospel. And believing is, man, it requires a personal, trusting, relational involvement with Jesus it's personal, it's relational, it involves Jesus, us learning to discern his voice and who he is and what he has done. First, we repent of the kingdom of darkness that we were born into, and then we believe that Jesus is the one to usher us in to his forever kingdom. Third command, follow me. This is my favorite part of the invitation of Jesus into the kingdom of God, into becoming a disciple. Jesus says, follow me. We know this verse. We preached on this. We did a whole series on this verse uh, last year. Follow me, Jesus says. Verse 16, let's keep going in the text. As Jesus was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting fishing nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, follow me. And I will what? I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. First and foremost, this was a physical invitation. Walk with me, he said. Come, go where I'm going. Watch me closely. Do what I do. Learn to say what I say. But you got to remain close to me, Jesus is saying. Close enough to see me act and see me love and see me care and see me wash people's feet. you got to stay close to me. One of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, 
Used to be a pastor and a professor at Regent College. He wrote the paraphrase of the Bible, the message paraphrase. He wrote this book called The Jesus Way, and he writes this. He says, to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that's given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. To follow Jesus means picking up the rhythms and ways of doing things that are often unsaid but always formed by the influence of Jesus. But folks, the only way that we're going to learn is to spend time with Jesus. The only way we're going to learn to follow in the ways of Jesus is to stay close to him. The problem is where we find Jesus most are places many of us seldom frequent. His word and our prayer closets. And so we're called to follow him. And what's the promise of Jesus here? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe, follow me. And here's the promise of Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is my favorite part of the invitation. No, not because I like to fish. I'm actually a horrible fisherman. I've never actually caught a fish and I don't want to touch the things. I know you're judging me, okay? But Jesus is a masterful communicator. He's talking about fishing to fishermen. If it was real estate agents or stay-at-home moms, it would have sounded different. But Jesus does this all the time. He communicates with such clarity, and he uses metaphors that people understand. He's talking about fishing for men to fishermen. In John 15, he says, hey, abide in me, I abide in you, like a vine births the fruit. He's talking to people who understand horticulture. He's talking about vines and branches. In the Feast of Tabernacles, in the glow of the massive lampstands that illuminated the temple court courtyards in John chapter 8, with the lights blazing above him, Jesus cries out, I am the light of the world. Jesus was a masterful communicator, and so he says to these fishermen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But I'm not a fisherman. Let me tell you how I read this verse. You've heard me say this before. Follow me, and I will make you. Follow me. I will make you. I will fashion you and form you and mold you into what I've wanted you to be from before the very first let there be of the creation story. Don't you know that I knit you together in your mother's womb? Don't you know that I have fashioned you and molded you? I know what makes you tick. I know what you're passionate about. I know your skills and your gifts and your abilities. I even know the warts and all the things you hate about yourself. Don't you know that I know what makes you tick? Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you disciple makers in whatever field, in whatever industry, in whatever place, wherever you work, learn, live, or play, I will make you. Here's the promise of Jesus's transformation. Man, we have been calling you GBC into the work of mission for the last couple of years, but you are going with the promise of Jesus's transformation, and the transformation doesn't come until we start following him. Until we start moving closer to Jesus, to watch him intimately. And Jesus never called people to follow him by himself. He called James and John. And then he called 
Simon and Andrew. And then he called Matthew to join these other guys. And then all the rest that I can't remember. Mark, I'm, I'm going to need you to tell me all the 12 disciples later, man. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of Men. And if you're familiar with the gospel accounts of Jesus, you know that Jesus' invitation to make them fishers of men was the call to the Great Commission. And we know the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus' last words before he goes back to the Father. Matthew 28, 19. Go, go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. GBC, this is the call. The ordinary call of every Christ follower. Making disciples is not the extraordinary call of just a gifted few. It is the call of all of us who have been indwelt by the disciple maker himself. And he is more committed to this work than you are. And he is willing and able to express his life through your hands and your feet and your voice and your income bracket and your home and your passions and your abilities. It delights the Father to dwell in the Son and it delights the Son to dwell in you. Are you delighted to be indwelt by the Son of God? He is pleased with you. I think it's Ephesians or Colossians 1. It says it was the Father's full pleasure for the fullness of deity to dwell in the Son. And the Son dwells in us. We have everything that we need to go and make disciples. Let me, let me close with this last thing. Look at how the Great Commission begins and ends. You know, in the very beginning of the story, Jesus in Mark 1 says, follow me and I will make you. There's a promise of transformation. At the very end of the story, Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says, go, go, make disciples in your going, wherever you go, where you work, learn, live, and play. Invite people far from God into coming close and equip them and develop them and then deploy them into making disciples. But look how the Great Commission starts and stops. Verse 28, what does Jesus say? Verse 18, chapter 28, verse 18, what does Jesus say? He says, all authority is mine. All authority is mine. All power is mine. I'm the sovereign king of the universe. All authority is mine. Verse 18, how does it end? Verse 20, and behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. Do you see that the call to make disciples is sandwiched between the promise of Jesus' power and his presence? My goodness, folks, we couldn't be further equipped for the mission. Follow me, I'll make you. Oh, and by the way, your going is buoyed by my power and my presence. We have what we need, folks. Now, how are we going to make disciples? We're going to make them as we gather and go and grow and give. We're going to make them through small group ministry and classes on campus. We're ultimately going to make them by you guys believing, believing in the gospel and believing that Jesus is willing and able to make disciples through you. And then opening up your hearts and your homes and inviting the people that live next to you and work with you and work out with you to come and taste and see that God 
is good. This is a mission that we have been equipped for, and it is a mission that we have the fuel to accomplish, linking arms with one another for the good of our cities and the glory of our God. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are committed to this work. And Jesus, we so often forget that you have not called us to do this apart from your power and your presence and the promise of transformation. You said you would make us. But God, we often believe that we're too messed up to be transformed by you. Oh, God, help us to repent of such faithlessness. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to join you in this globe-shaping, world-transforming power to make disciples who make disciples. You are pleased to dwell in us, and you are pleased to make disciples through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.